You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Before we get into our very special episode with Mike Rupp, a quick word about our sponsor, Audible. Audible is the best provider of your favorite books in audio form so you can listen on the train, on the plane, or in the car on the way home from work. There are thousands of titles available to download, but for me, I'm eyeballing One Game at a Time by Harnarayan Singh. To start your 30-day free trial, visit audibletrial.com slash icecold. That's audibletrial.com slash icecold. Now it's time for the episode. You're as cold as ice. You win. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ice Cold Takes Podcast. I am your host, Joey DeMeglio, and I have yet another special guest joining me this week. You'll remember this player from the 2011-2012 Rangers that went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he's currently an analyst for NHL Network. I am pleased to introduce Mr. Mike Rupp. Really appreciate you coming on, Mike. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad we're able to. uh, I missed the first few uh, requests on there, and then it got opened up to some of the fans that were throwing it out there. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm, yeah, I'm Ran- down with whatever. So Ranger fans are the best, right? Yep. Rangers fans are awesome. We love hockey. We love listening to people talk. You guys do a great job on NHL Network. You and Weeksy. We love we love listening to Weeksy. And that trade deadline, we had so much content, so much fun looking at yeah. all those yeah. memes and stuff. That was, that was just a, a treat for us. Um, but to start, I wanted to ask you, so you're drafted ninth overall by the Islanders, I believe in 98, yeah. right? 98, yeah. but you never signed with them. And then you got drafted by the Devils two years later. How does something like that happen? I've, and that's, to me, that's hilarious because I'm a Rangers fan and, you know, you end up playing with the Devils, the Penguins and the Rangers, which are three rivals of the Islanders, but you never played for the team that originally drafted you. Yeah, I mean, so it's uh, for the people watching that don't know, when you get drafted, you get two years to sign with that team, right? They own your rights for two years. And so, you know, where I was drafted, I mean, I was, excuse me, my draft year, I mean, I was only a year removed from playing high school hockey in Cleveland. So, and and Ohio high school hockey wasn't like Minnesota or maybe somewhere in in, uh, the East Coast, right? Like it was quite a bit weaker, I guess you can say. So I was kind of viewed as being like a project, right? I was uh, a, a big guy that uh, a big kid that can skate well from my from my size, and um, it was kind of uh, I got drafted higher than than I was projected. I mean, I was projected to go <clears throat> mid to late first round, and I ended up going ninth overall to the Islanders. So it was a bit of a surprise that I went high, um, you know. But it, it, so I guess what ended up happening there is um, over the next few years. I mean, it's. To be honest, it was a, a matter of um, everybody else that got drafted around me in the top 10 is scoring 100 points in juniors. Um, that wasn't me yet. Like I was still trying to learn the, the junior game and and trying to, to, to develop and use my size uh, to my advantage. So, you know, everyone else has had a lot more points than I did. Um, you know, when it came to negotiation time, we knew it was going to probably wait the full two years and it was going to come down the stretch. And my agent told me, he's like, hey, um, you know, you got an offer here from Mike Milbury and the Islanders, but you know, it's, it's not your fault. They drafted you ninth overall. And there's a value with that, that, uh, and, uh, so we kind of stuck to our guns there a little bit and, um, you know, nothing crazy, just wanted to get paid like a a first rounder. And I wasn't kind of getting offered that. I think they thought they can get a little bit of a discount because, um, of my numbers and, and the fact that I was a project. So, uh, basically just got to the point where we just said, you know, Hey, if my agent said, if that's, if that's all you're willing to offer Mike, then just be prepared to let him go back in the draft. And I don't know if that's kind of the gamesmanship side of it, as far as an agent and a GM. Uh, but Mike Milbury said, uh, I, apparently Mike Milbury hung up the phone and uh, he didn't return our calls in the closing hours of, of the night leading up to the deadline. So that deadline passes. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
oh my gosh, like what's going to happen now, right? Usually guys that do that, and it's been some guys in the past, most do not go as high as they went um, the first time. So I got drafted in the third round by the Devils. And it was really a good thing for me because that Devils organization, they were very patient with guys and I needed to take time. I never would have played probably 12 years in the league if I didn't get drafted and go through the, the Devils system because they were patient. I played almost three seasons in the American League before I got a, a real shot in NHL. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how that all played out. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of funny, though, because I, even when I was uh, when I was a free agent before I signed with the Rangers, one of the other teams that was uh, was big there was uh, the Islanders. And I remember that kind of the sales pitch to me was, hey, let's bring things full circle here and bring you back to the island where you, you should have been. And, uh, you know, I, at the time, I, I, I didn't want to chase money. I wanted to win. And the Rangers, I played against the Rangers. I knew that this was a tough team, a team that's really difficult to play against and was up and coming. So I made the right choice, I think, there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the time, the Islanders were towards the bottom of the league. They had their high draft picks. They had just gotten Tavares. Uh, I believe they drafted Griffin Reinhardt in 2012. 2011, I believe they had a high pick, too. Uh, but the Rangers, yeah, they were, they were starting to, to, yeah. to get there. They were starting to get there at that point. Um, so after you got drafted by the Devils the second time, uh, you, you end up playing in the Stanley Cup Finals. Your first goal was the Cup winner, and I believe that's you're the only player that's ever done that, to have your first playoff goal or your first career goal be the Stanley Cup clinching goal. I don't know if you knew that. I was looking, yeah, looking up yeah, last yeah. night, actually. No, it's kind of funny, like... Um... Whatever I, it's, I say is tongue in cheek because I mean, I, it all that mattered is that, that that we won a cup, and I was able to be fortunately on a team that we had some unbelievable leaders on that team in Jersey, and I was able to be a part of. It. I'm just glad I was able to contribute, you know. And I, I only played four games in the playoffs. I played the last four in the finals, and so I, I didn't want to be. I don't know. In my mind, I didn't want to be. I would have taken it, but I didn't want to be riding their coattails. I wanted to contribute somehow, and. Mm -hmm. Game seven kind of presented that, um, you know, I had great line mates, Jeffries and Jamie Langenbrenner, and we had, we won the game uh, three, nothing. And we had all three goals. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fun. It was special. Um, you know, it's just, it's funny when you talk about some of those things, though, be like the record books, it's when you get a lot of different layers in there, you feel pretty good. Like here, here's a couple that I, that I have, and this is hilarious. And uh, I laugh about it. I'm not, I don't really take them seriously. My first NHL game was on my birthday and I scored two goals. So I'm the first player to play his NHL debut on his birthday and score two goals. So that's something like there's a lot of layers there. It's yeah. going to take like, yeah. it's going to take a lot to, to kind of change that. Um, and that one you mentioned there too, with the finals, I'm the, the first uh, guy to score his first ever playoff goal in game seven and make, and have that become the winner. Uh, you know, the game winner and the, the layers to that too, is generally speaking, if you haven't scored a goal in all the playoffs, chances are, you're probably not going to be playing in that game seven. You might be a scratch or you might not be in the lineup. It was just the way things happen and injuries. I got that opportunity. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's much little ones. There's a funny one too. That was actually, um, it came, it, it comes up often in, in the Pittsburgh broadcast is I was, I'm the last Pittsburgh penguin to, uh, to score a hat trick at MSG. So that's just like a little one. And my kids like that one. So they're every time it comes up and someone has two goals at MSG for the Penguins, my kids all start, uh, dad, uh, dad, look out, you know, Jake Gensel's got two goals. And, uh, so whatever, those are fun. Those are fun things. And, uh, you know, it's, it, those are, uh, there's a lot of layers to those though. So we'll see if any of them get, uh, taken off here. I know that the, the hat trick one will at some point, but, uh, the other ones might last for a little while. Did you score on Lundqvist? Yeah, that was the, <laughs> those that was those goals. You know, I, oh. I, it's it's funny. We we sit there and um, I clearly I wasn't I wasn't a, a goal scorer in my career, and um, but we joke around and and those are just the little things that I like when it comes up in conversation when you talk to guys. Who's your first goal against? That's always a big question. Sometimes I'm just I would have taken my first goal against anybody. Uh, you know, I it, I happened to get my first two goals in that first game against Roberto Luongo. Wow. Uh, I had my hatch. <laughs> I had my hat trick against Hank. Um, I got uh, two goals in the winter classic against Sergey Bobrovsky. So I'm like, yes, like at least if the, so I can at least say at the other day when someone's like, you know, when my kids are like, dad, you didn't score very much. I'm like, Hey, 
I scored against some good guys though, <laughs> some, some of the best. So, uh, you know, we'll leave it at that. You got that right. Um, so anyways, after you won the cup in 2003 with the devils, eventually there was a lockout in 0405, which led you to Connecticut to play with the Danbury trashers. And I feel obligated to ask you, what was yeah. that whole situation? Like I just watched a documentary last night. Um, and to me, I've never seen anything like that. That, that was just nuts. Basically like, what did they play one season? That's it. Right. They were in existence for one, two, two, two years. Yeah. So the documentary kind of, you know, it, that, that part seems a little blurred in it. Um, the first season is the one I played. That was during the lockout. And uh, I just got a phone call. Um, the NHL season was canceled. I got a phone call that there's a, there's an owner of a UHL team out of Danbury, Connecticut that wants to, wants to go for it. He's got this, uh, his son is in a position of like kind of running the team and he wanted to see if any NHL players that were locked out wanted to come and, and play. And for me, I, I didn't have any plans at that point. I wasn't going to Europe. Um, I couldn't play in the American Hockey League because it was kind of crossing enemy lines to some degree from the, from the Players Association standpoint. So uh, it was kind of like, all right, well, I mean, this works. And so I, I called them and, and spoke to the team and they're like, we just have, you just got to play 10 games of your remaining of our remaining 20 to qualify for the playoff roster. So uh, they let me, I was even able to stay home and practice. Uh, I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. I was able to practice there and then they would just fly me in for, for games. So I like every other weekend would go play two or three games. And uh, yeah, man, it was a, uh, it was an experience. It was, it was, it was cool. And I, I say, even that documentary, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And once I got there, I was like, all right, well, let's just go with this. It was, it was incredible though. Like they treated the Galante family treated us like gold and the fans there were incredible. And it was kind of the perfect storm too, because I always heard of, uh, I've always heard of the, I think it was New Haven. The New Haven fan base was like this crazy bloodthirsty fan base that, uh, um, that was kind of in the, in the minor leagues, well known and had kind of this cult following. And with the NHL lockout, there's a lot of Ranger fans that kind of migrated up there to, to Connecticut. And um, we had a lot of fans there and it was just kind of the perfect storm to have this crazy thing happen. And it was nuts. And, and I'm glad they're able to capture it, make a documentary on it. I thought it was really well done, but yeah, man, there's some, there's stories that that were in there that were incredible. And there's stories that weren't in there that are, that are incredible as well. Were there any like fights or brawls crazier than that line brawl that you had in uh, with the with the Devils in 2012 to start that game, yeah, was I didn't. It, I, it was funny, like all the times I was because I was there and I, I never, I never fought in Denver. I never had a fight, and uh, really? that was kind. Of, that was kind of part of it. Is I when I went there and I always knew at that point I played in the NHL for two seasons, and I knew when I was in the American League that whenever a guy got sent down, you're a target, right? So you're going because everyone wants to make it to the next level. They want to use you as a as a measuring stick. So I just said to the owner, Jimmy, I said, Hey, Jimmy, I'm like, here's the deal though. Like, I don't, I got no problem with it. Like I, I'm, I'm a physical player, but I'm not coming there just to fight everybody all the time. Like, I don't want guys just, I'm not going to do that. So, and he's just, he just said to me, he goes, Michael, I want you to, um, to go online and look up our roster. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, let's just say nobody will look at or nobody will look at you or say anything to you. And I go and look at the roster and they got like two guys pushing probably 400 penalty minutes. They got like four more that are over 250. And I'm like, okay. So I went there and literally no one looked at me. No one challenged me. No one, they, 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 they really couldn't. Cause there's, we had like eight guys that were drooling and wanted to go and get them. So, <laughs> so that, that, that was something that, so I didn't really experience that. And, and a lot of times, like I said, I was playing every other weekend. So it just always seemed like the weekend. I mean, sure, there was fights in the games that I was at. And sometimes, you know, the, I mean, the fans were nuts. We saw some crazy fights, hits, all that. I wasn't there for any of those kind of things. I remember I would stay home for a weekend and then I'd check with the boys or, or they'd call me like, oh, we had quite the quite the gong show in this game. And it was that one up in Adirondack where there's like a brawl and you had a player leave the penalty box and grab the other team's coach. And they, you know, we have suspensions for life and all these crazy things. They didn't really happen when I was there. So uh, I wasn't able to, to, to see anything like that. 
So you're there more for, I guess, you were you were more of a bystander in terms of the fighting department, but you were you were there to to play hockey. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Play I was there to uh, yeah, and I think that was the cool part about it too. It's because I was still trying to carve my imprint into the into the league and, and be a regular in the NHL, and and I realized that what I needed to do, I wasn't going to be, even though I was like a point getter growing up. I mean, quite frankly, every NHL player is, you know, every single guy. You could talk about. Um, the tough guys, one dimensional players, they scored 50 goals in juniors. Like that's just how it is. You know I mean? You had to, you were, you had to reevaluate. How do you, can I do this at this level? Am I able to do it consistently? I I couldn't, you know, I was, I was a guy that can, like we mentioned, I could chip in some offense and I had some goal scoring instincts, but I didn't have it enough to be a consistent goal scorer for 82 games. I could be spotted in at times. And, you know, if there's an injury, I can bump up for two weeks and play with a, a higher line and, and have some production. But then it was, I, I wasn't that, I wasn't consistent with scoring. So I had to start, you know, learning more of the the physical game and, and, and kind of, um, you know, establishing that. So this playing in Danbury was awesome because it was an opportunity for me to feel like a player again, you know, like I was able, and by all means, like that league was really good because of the trickle down. We had NHL players playing there. We had American League caliber players that were playing there. We had East Coast Hockey League players that were playing there because everybody was getting bumped down. So every league was stronger than what it was the prior year. So I by no means could score at will, but I can control play. I can take the puck out of my zone, skate it into their zone, turn up, look for a play. It just it felt good. It felt like I was a hockey player again. That whole situation, that whole team and stuff, it, it was just crazy. Just witnessing and watching the documentary, I like I said, I I've never seen anything like it. And what's also what was also crazy was like transitioning to the next topic. When you went to the 2012 Winter Classic with the Rangers, you scored two goals, like you said earlier. But I want to talk about that first one. You you did the unthinkable. You did the Yagers patented salute. And like, that's just, I, I mean, at the time I was young, I was like 11, 12 years old and I didn't understand now being older and understanding, you know, how good of a player Yager was back in the nineties and what he used to do. I mean, that, that salute, like we like to, we like to have fun on Rangers Twitter. We have slander hours. So of course the Rangers last played the flyers and we won three, nothing. And I went and said that you own the Flyers still, even after 10 years for doing that salute. So what was going through your mind at that moment? Did you, was that like a planned celebration or was it like just a move to get under their, the Flyers skin? They were up to nothing at the time. So I, I don't know. Just talk me through that. Yeah. I mean, um, planned. I always get asked that. No, I mean, I didn't score enough. I mean, I wasn't sitting there like when I score in the winter classic, I'm going to do this. Like I didn't, I didn't think that far ahead. Um, but the one thing I really loved in the NHL, And I loved it a lot about playing in Philly and just all those things we mentioned drafted by the Islander. I mean, I basically played and I know divisions have changed to some degree, but I basically played or been have a relationship via being drafted by the Islanders with every team in that division, except the Flyers. So it's been embedded in my head since I was in the minors playing against when I was in Albany uh, playing for the devil's uh, farm team. We played against the, the Phantoms, the Philadelphia Phantoms, eight times a year, you know, I have the most fights in my career, um, always against the Flyers organization. The really interesting stat that was brought to me, Mike Russo, one of the beat writers for the wild, um, my last year playing or second last year playing, I got in a fight against the Flyers and he dug up this stat. It's incredible. Um, in, in any team that I played for, when you add them all up, my fights against the Flyers, our teams, uh, our teams were 12 and one in those games. And it, listen, I didn't win. Tr- trust me when I say this, I didn't win all those fights. I lost probably most of them. Like, but they, it was just kind of cool to me. Cause I'm like, yes, you know, I, I was just, I always wanted to, and, and here's the part about it. People don't, you know, I even put a tweet out the other day, just messing around. I just like poking the, the flyers fan base. Um, I actually, as a teenager, I actually, as a teenager, I had two, uh, two posters over in my bed as a kid. I was a big, I was a big NBA guy in the nineties. Um, a kid, I, I liked watching the NBA. I had Sean Kemp, uh, in a, in a Seattle Supersonics Jersey. Uh, he was over, he was one poster. The other poster was, um, the Legion of Doom line and Eric Lindros, Mikel Renberg and John LeClaire. 
And I, that I wanted to play in Philly. I thought a big guy like me, and I thought it would be perfect. I always wanted to be in Philly. And there was a couple times in my career becoming a free agent where uh, Philly called. And it was always, though, because remember, Philly's always trying to, they were always pushing to sign the big guys, too. And, and the way the free agency works, a guy like me, I'm not really, I might be, you know, I might be on teams lists but they need to see how much money they have available before they get to me and they have to take care of the higher paid guys. So I would always get the, the message from Philly is just hang tight, hang tight. We're, we want you, you're our number one guy for this role. Um, but we got a couple of things we got to figure out. And I, I wasn't confident enough to hang tight. You know, I had offers on the table that I, I, I were going to disappear. So that I never got to get there. And so I think part of me too, and the, it, Playing in the NHL and scoring a goal and feeling that rush from the fans, the cheers were certainly something that every player experiences, and it's absolutely incredible. Um, but the booze kind of do the same thing for me. And I started to realize I really like pissing off the other team's fan base. Like that was <laughs> that was something that I that I liked, and that's something I can control. I can't control if I'm gonna score a goal in the game as much because I didn't do it often, but when when it needed to happen. I could do something to push the buttons of the the other team. So I think that's all it was is, um, you know, the other part too that, that I, I haven't really talked about very much is when I signed with the Rangers, you know, I signed a contract. I was very grateful that I got the three years uh, in the deal that I got with the Rangers. Um, that was when MSG was kind of getting remodeled and it was one of the phases there. And we started off, we did the premier games and we were playing over in Europe, like crazy preseason schedule. So I just came off my best years in the NHL in Pittsburgh um, free agency time. I had, uh, you know, it was, it was cool for me. And I'm only saying this because it made me feel good. Cause a lot of guys like me, a lot of times we don't get, we don't get the, the attention when, with some things and that's fine. That's what we sign up for. But I had, I had 18 offers on, on when tr- free agency opened up and it kind of happened that way because for what I did, fourth liner that can give you double digit goals and give you double digit fighting majors and, um, you know, and, and could be solid defensively. Like there wasn't many of us. Chris Neal was another one in Ottawa that was available, but he signed with Ottawa right before free agency. So it was kind of like the perfect storm. There was me in that role. And then there was like a big drop-off. So then all of a sudden I was like everybody's number one choice. And I had to kind of dwindle it down. So I dwindled that down to the, to the New York and, and get it to the Rangers. I want to be a part of that group there. And so we're over in Europe and you always want to prove that they made a good decision. And we're in Europe and I tweaked my knee in one of the games and it would, I never felt anything like that. I never had a knee injury, never missed a game or a practice, nothing for my knees and something wasn't right. I tried to play through it all preseason and I just kept going to Jim Ramsey and, and I was uh, the trainer. I was like, I, it, I don't feel right. I don't know what's going on. So when we got back to New York before the season started, I went in there like you got a torn meniscus, which is very minor situation should be two to three weeks. And um, so they go in to clean it up. And they come back and they're like, your knee is, you've got so much, you've got some of the worst um, arthritis that we've seen. Like, it's really cloudy. Like you've got some issues, you've got holes on your kneecap. And like, so we did the meniscus, let's see how that works. And we'll go from there. And you might have to get more stuff done. We don't know. So the rehab starts. And so this is before the season starts. So I don't start the season with the new team I just signed with. But I had circled on my calendar because I could play in the years, the Winter Classic the year before in Pittsburgh. And I wanted to play in another Winter Classic. So the timeline was kind of going to be right around Winter Classic time. So I had set in my head, I'm playing in the Winter Classic. So going through like rehab, I, I was kind of lying about like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Like, no, no pain here, you know, and, and I was trying to push it along. And um, I really wanted to play in that game. And I probably shouldn't have hindsight being 2020, because I think it kind of, it kind of solidified that that was my last contract, because I what ended up happening, I was winter classic was fine. But as the season went on, I was playing like one leg. And so when you have a year of compensating, you know, uh, my left leg, 
where that injury was, nothing was firing. So I started having like my, my muscles were shrinking on that leg. My other leg felt like it was going to blow up because it was working so hard. And it kind of just put me in this nasty cycle that I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't ever rehab it. Right. Like I had to, you know, I took the whole next off season off. I had to have another surgery later on and just, it was kind of the, you know, the end. So I, I guess my point being is that I wanted to play in that winter classic so bad that I was lying that I was healthy to go and just play in that game. And so that's why it was kind of rewarding for me to get um, for me personally, to be able to, to, to come through in that situation. And in that moment there, I scored a goal. It was just like, yes, like I, like this was a good decision. And, and also like, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, F you to like the, the flyer fans, like, Hey, we're here. We're the Rangers. We're the black and blue shirts. And, uh, you might be up to nothing, but we're coming. And it really was, a, it was an awesome game. And it was, it was cool because our team was fired up. That was a huge, huge game for us. And I just love doing it in certain, certain markets. I mean, winning games in Philly, doesn't get much better than that. Um, winning games in Montreal is incredible. There's just certain <laughs> spots that's just, you just, you can piss off the, the other team's fan base. And that sometimes feels just as good as scoring a goal. And yeah, the build up to that winter classic was insane and the game lived up to the hype. The the end to the game was just incredible. It was such a nail biter for, for me. I was watching with my dad and we see the McDonough apparently covers his hand on the puck. I, Terrible I mean, call. Terrible yeah, call. That's what I was going to say. I I'll, To this day, I, I'm like, wait a minute. No way. That's not a penalty yeah. shot. Yeah. No, and, that, but, it wasn't. Lundqvist, Lundqvist was ready anyways. He was ready for anything and he stopped Briere on the penalty shot. One of the yeah his iconic saves yes. uh, fired up. You guys win the game. What to, I remember watching like the HBO winter class. I was a little young at the time, so I, I wasn't allowed to watch it like as it went on. Um, so like eventually I ended up getting the DVD and I, I watched it and I loved it. What was that like the HBO road to the winter classic show? Another documentary for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was cool. I'm and, and again, the year before when I was, I, I think that my, obviously the the first and foremost, the the two goals I was able to get in the Winter Classic was completely because Brandon Press gave me two amazing passes in sh- shooting areas. So I got to give him a ton of credit. And and uh, John Mitchell was our center. Um, those guys set me up in a good spot, and I just shot. I shot the puck simply on on, on two plays. So. Um, that's first and first and foremost, but I, I think the experience of being in the winter classic the prior year in Pittsburgh, I wasn't nervous. There was no, I mean, I knew what to expect. And so we had the 24 seven following us in, in the Pittsburgh, Washington winter classic the prior year. So I was kind of used to that as well, but it's, it's really cool. Those are so well done. And, you know, the team, the team watches it along with the fans. Like we don't get, a preview of this this week's episode or whatever like we watch it live when it debuts on tv so it's pretty cool to watch and um you know i i I think that uh, a lot of that is um you know it's funny how it works though so you sign up to basically you're 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 allowing them to take whatever they want to take and so i had a moment in there um with jody shelley that um you know i it's it's funny because you know, that's, that's something that's kind of gone on and in, in viral over the internet over the years. And, um, you know, uh, it's my kids play ho- hockey and that's like what their friends find on YouTube. <laughs> you know, they look up Mike Rupp and I, listen, I didn't do much offensively, but I, you know, like we talked about before, I've had some moments that I'm really proud of and, and, and was a part of. And what everybody kind of remembers is, is what I said on, on HBO 24 seven, and, um, you know, in that moment, it was just that same thing. Like, it was just, you know, it's the heat of the battle. And I remember after that game, we went in the locker room and I went up to our PR guy and I go, hey, listen, because um, I was mic'd for the game. But that wasn't like, I mean, I, we just, we run our mouths all the time. And as soon as they said it, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm mic'd. Like, I don't want that, you know, and it was kind of bothering me because I like Jody. I, I listen, I, Jody Shelley and I were line mates in Columbus together. He's one, Jody Shelley is one of the greatest teammates in hockey. So I'm saying that in that moment to like, cause it's the heat of the heat of battle. Right. And um, so I went up to uh, the HBO crew and I said, Hey, I said, uh, there's a little interaction here with me and another guy on the other team in, in whatever period it was. 
And I just, I don't want that. I don't want that to air. And can you guys like take a look at it? And then they're like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll take a look at it. And um, they came back and where they're like, we got it. We got to air that. And I'm like, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like, really? And uh, you know, they're like, yeah, um, they're like, you know, I'm sorry, but like, that's, that's good. We need that. And I'm like, really? Like you can't like take it out. And they're like, <laughs> no, and basically more or less, more or less said my boss would kill me. Like, I can't take that out. I'm like, so I, I, that's something kind of regrettable. I didn't love that. Um, so in, in part of it too, it's like, that was before the Yager salute. So there's that that happens, then the Yager salute. So the rest of the season, when the cameras leave HBO leaves, we still have another game against the flyers. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, you know what, man, I know Jody's going to want to fight me. I got to fight him. And, and that's one guy. He always had my number in a fight. Jody always beat me up in a fight. So it was one of those where I, the right thing to do here is to go and fight Jody. And we fought and he, he got me good again. And, um, but I at least felt like, Hey, you know what? And we've talked since and uh, he's awesome, man. I, I love Jody. And, and it was, he, he's one of those guys like, nah, doesn't even matter, man. Don't worry about it. Like it's not a big deal, but and remember he, he beat me in the fight and he was going to the penalty box and he did the salute. So oh. I'm like, all right, we're even now. So, uh, but yeah, I didn't know, you know, it's just uh, the HBO part of it was, was cool. I think they did an amazing job. We got to see so many, so many awesome angles and, and things. I think the best part is just, even when you go back and watch some of the coaches speeches in the locker room, I mean, you hear John Tortorella, you know, the way he talks, it gives me goosebumps still now. So um, yeah, that was an incredible time. I was just going to say, like, that was one of my favorite parts, seeing what Torts would say in between periods, like during the intermissions. What was he like at practices in the locker room? Was he, like, always fired up at every given moment? moment, Or, like, were there times where he was kind of, like, where he was laid back or I guess you could say soft? I don't know. Yeah, he would uh... – don't use that word though. Can you use nah. soft? You can't use soft with torts. Uh, yeah, no, he was nah. torts was uh, torts was wound tightly and is wound tightly. But the thing that people don't get to see, and, and I think even on 24 seven, you got to see it. Um, you know, some people know that if they follow close enough, I mean, this is a guy that he gives his time, he gives his money, he gives his energy, a lot of things outside of hockey and in his personal life. He's a, he's a great human being. He really, really is. And, um, he is, uh, he's one of those guys that's demanding, but he's very, um, he's very, uh, how do you say it? It's like one of those, like a tap on the back, like, good, like job well done by torts is like that, that, that's like the best thing you can get. And just that nod, like you make eye contact and gives you a nod, like that a boy. And it goes along. It's a little bit of, he's old school in that, you know, he's not going to, He's not going to pump you up and he's not going to try to say things to, you know, lift your spirits. He, he just, you know, that when, when you have done something the right way, you're, you're good. And like, uh, yeah, no, he's uh, so he was like, um, you know, I know the, the one thing with Taurus, but, but he could also joke around with them. And I think that's why Brad Richards was so key to that team because Richie won the cup with Torts back in 2004 in Tampa. And now Richie's there. And Richie can kind of push his buttons and say some things. And Callie can do that. Dan Girardi can do that. And these guys would do that. And I remember one time in practice, we used to mess around. Like, things were going good, so we felt like we could. Is um, So if you can envision just in practice, we're at our practice rink. And guy, we're just doing shooting. Um, we're just doing some flow drills and some shots. And there's a line in the corner, like any hockey practice. And Torts would stand. If the line started in the corner, Torch was kind of up a little higher in the face-off dot um, by the hash marks. And you just stand by the board. You had the whistles in his mouth. And a lot of times, if you if a guy's coming down the other side, he's shooting on net, and he shoots it wide, you know, it's coming around the glass, right? And so guys would always – we'd always mess around with each other, and it's pretty common in, in hockey that when you're standing in the corner waiting to go in line, um, someone will shoot it, and then you just kind of like – you, you got to like protect yourself because puck's coming around by your face. And so some guys would mess with other guys and the, the sound, cause you know, you got the stanchions between the glass, right? So the sound when the puck goes around, you hear like clink, 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 like coming around the, coming around the glass. So guys would skate by and drag their stick up in the stanchions and it would sound like a puck, like dit, 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 coming around the, the glass. So torch was sitting there. I remember I go to Danny Girardi the one time I'm like, Hey, watch this. I'm going to get torts. And so I did my shot. I got to the end of the line 
and the next guy comes down, you know, Torts is watching, watches the guy skate to here. Then he looks away like this. So this guy's going to shoot now. And I drag my stick. I'm like, heads up. And Torts like, boom, jumps down to the ice. Like, <laughs> cause he thought it was going to get him. And it was hilarious how animated he was. And everyone starts laughing and Torts gets up and he, he looks around and he realizes there's no puck that we're messing with him. And he's like, who did that? Who did that? And I'm like, oh, and uh, he, he looks at me, and, but he's good like that. Like came up and, and he kind of got, uh, got up in my face, like with, you know, his chest, he goes, you know, he's like F off rubber, like whatever. But he's smiling. He's having fun. Like you can mess with torts. You do a good job. You do your job. You can raz torch and give it to torts. He'll give it back. And I think that people don't get to see that all the time. He's not just, he's not just a disciplinarian every second. He, he, if you're not doing your job and you're not doing the right things, you're going to hate him. And quite frankly, he's probably going to hate you. But if you do a good job, it's, uh, you know, just do what you're asked to do. That, that, that's how you, you, you survive a John Tortorella. As a fan, he struck me as a guy that, that wouldn't BS you. Like, he'd give it to you straight. He wouldn't pull any of his punches. So I yeah. guess what you were saying, like, when he gives you that nod of approval, like, he's not going to give you – he's not going to give you compliments every, every, every single no. day. But when you get that, it means a lot coming from yeah. him. Yeah. It means more than anything. I, him, him and uh, Lou Lamarillo was another one too, where you get on the bus in after a game and Lou would sit in the front seat right behind the driver and you'd walk on the steps of the bus and you'd see him. And if Lou looked at you and just, he looked at you and he would just say like, whatever, Hey, Michael, and just nod his head. And you're just got a little hop in your step because that's like everything. Like, yeah, like the big man, he, you made him happy. You know what I mean? If you go on the bus and Lou doesn't make eye contact with you and looks the other way, it's like, I don't know. It wasn't very good tonight you know, or whatever. So, it, you know, it goes a long way and that's how torts is. And, and, and torts is one of my favorite coaches um, that I've ever had because he's demanding. He, and the biggest thing about him, it's accountability. He, it's a, everybody's accountable. And there's a lot of coaches out there that accountability, they try to fake it and that gets smoked out real quick in the locker room. There's no, there's no fakeness to torts. He's real. And quite frankly, the guys who can't handle it or didn't like torts, I don't think they play the game the right way. It's not a good match. Go somewhere else and play because we want to win here. And John Tortorella is going to keep everybody accountable to do so. Yeah, I mean, and like you speaking of him is like just because he's one of my favorite coaches, like of all time that have coached the Rangers. I mean, obviously, I love AV. Some Rangers fans uh, have feel a certain way about him, but I liked him because I, I liked what he did with the team when he brought the the team to the finals his first year. Uh, and then the the 2011 2012 team was just one of my favorite teams. Like, what an unbelievable ride that was! Such a fun and exciting team. And now I kind of like feel the same way about this current Rangers squad. They may not be the same kinds of players on this current team as they were on 2011-2012, but are there any similarities that you see, would you say? Or is it just complete, two completely different teams that are both successful in their own right? I think the only comparison is uh, – I think they're completely different. I think the only comparison is they both have stellar goaltending. Yeah. And the goaltender is everything. The the decor, this Rangers decor is different than than ours. Ours was 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 awesome, but we didn't have an Adam Fox. You know, we didn't. Um, you know, even like Keandre, he does he does things that are that are unique. Um, we had a very defensive oriented team in eleven twelve. Um we didn't generate a ton of offense. We were, we weren't like a trap it up boring, like devil system of the early two thousands. It, it, no, we would, we would go, but I mean, we blocked a million shots, a million shots, like Ryan Callahan, Dan Girardi, Brian Boyle. I mean, ridiculous how many shots these guys were blocking. And I mean, the whole team, I mean, that was the, that was number one thing from day one. I went to the Rangers, John Tortors, Tortorella would say, he'd say it all the time throughout the season. If you're not going to block shots, you're not going to play. I don't care who you are. And he'd be like, you know, to Marin Gabrick, if you're not going to block shots, I have no use for you. Can you imagine like telling a, a player like Marin Gabrick, who's a 40 goal man, that like, if you're not going to block shots, you're not going to play. 
So that that's what made me and everybody else want to block shots because we're like, everybody's asked to do it and everybody's expected to do it. So, uh, you know, the team this year is different. Um, I mean, even on that team, we didn't have a, you know, Brad Richards was great. He's not our Temi Panarin, you know, uh, there's, uh, at that stage of his career, um, this Rangers team is, they're good. Like they're mm-hmm. really, really good. And I, I said it last year, <clears throat> I said it last year and I stand by it. I said, uh, this team's going to win a Stanley cup in the next three or four years. And, um, you know, this year, this year started and we're really surprised. I think they're ahead of schedule. Uh, Igor has been incredible. This team has been, been great. Uh, then it became, you know, I love Ranger fans. I love their passion, but they came at me earlier in the year when it was like, is this team going to, is this team there? Are they a contender? I said, I love them. And I, and I reminded everybody, I said, they're going to win a cup in three or four years, but it's not this year. And the Ranger fans weren't happy about that. And, and I'll tell you this in the last four weeks, three weeks, I'm getting off that stance a little bit. I'm thinking this team might be able to do something, but they've been playing much differently over the last month or so. They're finding ways to win. They're not relying just on Igor. Like there was, I'm not a huge analytics guy, but it supports things. They were third worst team in the league of giving up prime scoring chances, you know, expected goals for all those things. Igor was unbelievable. If it was, that's why Igor is hands down the Vesna. Hands down, without without doubt. That's why he's in the long list. I don't think he'll win it. I don't know if he'll be a finalist, but he's in the consideration for the heart. He's got to be. That, what was happening early in the year, he's still been great, but that's not the case now. This team's playing much better now. They're defending better now. They're finding ways to win games. Um, I don't know if I'm there to say they're a contender, but would I be shocked if this team goes to the finals? No, not at all. Like they would just be ahead of schedule. I'm still standing to the part where they will win a cup in the next three or four years. I'm not there yet. On if I think they are going to this year, but I've changed and I've softened that uh, opinion. And, and, and now I'm kind of looking at them like, I kind of really want to see how these guys handle the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to ask you about, you know, what you were saying, like the, the three or four years, the Rangers winning a cup within those next three or four years. Um, and I was going to ask you if how like they've played since the deadline, they obviously made yeah. some great acquisitions in Vetrano and cop. Uh, unfortunately, Tyler Mott got injured, but he was playing well on that penalty kill before he got hurt. Um, like how, how, how much different, how much of a difference has that made? Like on, in, on, in your mind, like, compared to before the deadline versus after I know you brought up the analytics and then uh, they were third worst, I believe in, uh, in like expected goals for probably in uh, before the deadline. And then after the deadline, it's just completely turned around. Yeah. So do you think they're able to, are they're capable of winning a round or two now? They, they're, they won the trade deadline. In my opinion, um, there were some other teams who did some really nice things, but the Rangers did the best. I, see, here's the thing I was concerned about is how do you know? And I know a lot of people have asked this question and it's hard to like, how do you, how do you stop from being like an impulse buyer? Because you, they had $30 million in salary cap space, 30 million. There, mm-hmm. There's teams that have, that had $500,000 in cap space. Like the Rangers had a huge advantage. So it's like, how do you know if now is the time to swing for the fences or not? I didn't think that this year they should swing for the fences. And that's, and that was a lot of the rumors. And, and, and I don't think these are over, but Patty Kane was one. Uh, there's some big moves out there that can happen. I was more of the ilk of like, this team deserves, let's see what this group does. I think you can really weed out some things like, all right, these guys responded the right way. These guys didn't. I have a question mark here. We know this is a guarantee like this. Let these guys experience it. But they, like Chris Jury, made some shrewd decisions. You talk about teams. Let's, for an example, I love the Florida Panthers. I love what they've done. Did they need Claude Giroux? Like they score so many goals. Like they, they, they have over 300 goals on the year. They added something. It was, that was of, uh, that wasn't what they needed. That's what they wanted. You know what I mean? The Rangers needed a gut shot in their lineup. Right in the middle of their lineup, they needed a couple 
couple more pieces. Uh, Tyler Mott's going to be missed. He, that guy makes things happen. But, uh, you know, and let's not forget, too, they're without Sammy Blay. Like Sammy Blay, too. Like those guys, when you're talking, like that's, there's some, there's some guys that are going to be missed this year. But Andrew Kopp, he's, he's great. He is awesome. He can do so many different things for this hockey club. Um, and then you, Frankie Vetrano has been incredible. I mean, what an ad this has been. So I, I actually think that this team did the most. Those types of players are, are what's going to be the difference in a series. Uh, that's no knock to the top end guys. Cries has been lights out. Mika, uh, you know, Artemi. I mean, they've got, they've got some really nice pieces, but every team has some really nice pieces. So I don't want to say they offset each other, but it's going to be the depth guys here that are going to be like the difference makers. And I think the Rangers got a few of them at the deadline. Yeah. And I, I think they fit in well, and I would like to see them possibly make a return next season. The, I know they had like 30 million in cap space, like the most cap space by of any team at the deadline, but they're not going to have that much in the right. offseason. It's only going to be like 10 or 11 million dollars and they have a few free agents that they need to resign. They're going to have to make a decision with Ryan Strom or Andrew Cobb. For me, it's got to be one or the other. You can't have both because they're both very good players and I think they're both deserving of a significant amount of that cap space money yeah. that they have. Uh, what, what do you think that they're going to do? Do you think they stick with cop or do you, do you think that Strom's going to be the answer there for that second line center position? I think the one thing going for Strom is his connection with, with Panarin. Um, do you change that? Cause it's worked. It's been really good. Um, I, I really like Ryan Strom. I like what he brings. Uh, I still do think though that and I hate even putting them in order, but put it this way. Like, ah, I hate saying this because I really like Stromer a lot. And this is not a knock to him. If, if Ryan Strom is your second line center, can, are you a Stanley cup contender? You could be, mm-hmm. be, you know, you could be if he's clicking good with our but if Ryan Strom's your third line center, like that's a Stanley cup contender. You know what I mean? Like that for me is like, now we're cooking with gas and that's not a knock to them. If anything, that's like, it doesn't even have to. And I don't like to say third line. You, some teams you can just, if you're, if you have a top line and you can get two middle lines, your, your second or third line to be kind of interchangeable. Like that's where teams are dangerous. Like look at like um, Toronto starting to do it. Now they move Willie Nylander to their third line and they've got kind of like two, the second and third line that are kind of both like number two lines. And like now all of a sudden Toronto looks to me, they look more dangerous than, you know, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I like Strom, but it's all going to come down to cost and what it's going to be. I, I think Andrew Kopp has done enough where he can, he'll be interesting because I think he's going to command a lot. He's going to command a lot. So maybe he prices himself out in New York. That's going to depend on how he plays down the stretch here too. But um, Hey, they're in a really, really good spot. And just think about it from this standpoint, too. I've always thought that this team is going to hit that next level when either um, when either Kako or or Lafreniere hit. Like they, let's not forget, this team's great, and those guys are fine. I'm I'm fine with their progress, but if one of them hits and and becomes the player that everybody thought when they were drafted that just puts this team like just sends them up another level. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. I mean, you can say the same thing about Phil Pedal. We've been kind of waiting for Phil Pedal to kind of hit that next level for a number of years. He, I like him a lot as a player. Um, any of those three guys, I'm that those guys are the guys I'm watching down the stretch here. Cause mm-hmm. if, even if the team doesn't win now, if those kids show that they can crank it up come playoff time, I think that answers a lot of things for you. I've been saying this for a while on this podcast that once Lafreniere and Kako break out, you know, maybe 40, 50 point scores in the yeah. season, that's when the rebuild is officially mm-hmm. over in my, mm-hmm. in my mind. Because I think when they, yeah. when they hit, when one of them, even just one of them hits, now I think this all of a sudden, in my opinion, turns us to we're swinging for the fence. Mm-hmm. This is now. What is the one thing we need to get over the hump? What's the one, you know, pending UFA from another team we're going to trade for? Who's the big signing? Like, I, 
when one of those guys hits, it changes everything, I think, for this team. Mm -hmm. And I think having guys like that, if they're on the third line, the, the third line, as you put it, on a deep team, they they use those lines. It's not like the third line is just out there for 12 minutes a game. No, they'll get yeah. 13, 14, 15 minutes a game. Like, look at look at the Rangers in 2013, 14. My favorite line of all time, Broussard, uh, Pouliot, Broussard, Zuccarello. That was, yeah. like, such an effective third line and, it, like, was one of the main reasons they got so far that year. So if you could have that, like a, like a team like Florida that's got Sam Reinhart playing on their third line or Lundell playing on their third line, or got or a team like Colorado that's got got depth players all all up their forward lines. I mean that's a significant change, and you know it helps the offense a lot, right? Yeah, no, it's true. And 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 Joe, here's here's something I always go off of, and everyone's got their thing they look for. If I was if I was blindfolded, uh, that doesn't make sense because I'd have to open my eyes at some point. Hold on, let me try let me try this a different way. No, what I'm saying is if you hide a team's roster and you just show me their third line, I'll tell you if they're a good team or not. I've always thought this. And that's a – it can be – I don't care who you have on the top line. You can have Connor up there. You can have Sid up there. You can have, you know, uh, Panarin up there. You can, you can have – take your pick. Show me your third line, and I'll tell you if you're, gonna, if you're a contending team or not. That, that is something I believe in a ton. And I guess to, it kind of makes it sound like that the top two lines cancel each other out. They, quite frankly, they kind of should. You know, a third line, you show me a third line. If you go back over these last number of years and we start going over the cup winners, look at Pittsburgh's back-to-back. HBK line, Haglin, Kessel, Benino. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what they did. Um, you go to, we talked about the third line in Tampa the last two years. Goodrow, Gord, and and uh, and Coleman, mm-hmm. uh, like th- th- that's what we talk about. Talk about St. Louis. Remember in St. Louis, they had like their. I think it may have been even actually their fourth line was unbelievable. Like you know Washington, they got Lars Eller. Like 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 they like it's. You show me a third line. If your third line, if I look at them, like yeah, it's okay. I don't. I don't think you're there yet. And. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, that's bang on. Like third lines show you everything. And and even when you look back to – if you go back to 2007 when Anaheim won, I'm just thinking about this because Getzlaff announced in his retirement. When they won the Cup, people forget, like, we know Ryan Getzlaff won the Stanley Cup. But Ryan Getzlaff was a third liner with Corey Perry and – I'm trying to remember who else was on that line. That's – like. You, you have that talent, and we know that's changed. They've gotten, you know, Corey Perry's a 50-goal scorer after that. Ryan Getzlaff's had kind of a Hall of Fame career. They win because you have guys like that. Like, you, your third line is everything to me when you're evaluating how good your team is. That's your ice-cold take of the week. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's, I mean, like, I like what you said about how the first two lines cancel each other out. It's like because they, every contending team has those players, mm-hmm. right? You, that's what you expect to make them get to that point. But what takes you over the point, uh, the hump is getting those depth scores that could, that could really chip in. Also, I think the fourth line too, when you have that kind of locker room presence too, I mean, to me, I keep saying this, Ryan Reeves has made such an impact on the Rangers this year. Um, I'd like to get your insight on that. Like what can you like elaborate? Like how much has he really impacted that team this year? since they got him in the off season. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously I'm not in the room, so I, I don't know fully, but I know from talking to people in the past, Ryan Reeves is very well liked with his teammates. He's a great team guy, um, team first. Those things go a really long way. And um, he makes, he makes everybody bigger on your team. I mean, you know, it's different. It's different when you got this guy, we see him from his pregame kind of, uh, hooting and hollering and getting the boys going. I mean, that's a, that's a job that you gotta, you know, I, I've had guys like I, I went to Miko Koibu's um, retirement or Jersey retirement the other, the other week. And uh, he was joking around like that. I never shut up, but like, you got to play that role. You got to play that role. Like you've got to do, you've got to contribute. It's all about contributing. And Ryan Reeves contributes. He contributes with his mouth. He contributes with his fist. He contributes with the four check. 
whatever his minutes are, he's going to give you something. He has been put it this way. Vegas has not been the same. And I know there's been other guys. I mean, I, I they dropped the ball, I think, with Marc-Andre Fleury. But Vegas lost a huge piece of their identity with, with Revo. A huge piece. Like, that was big. Like, I, what was it? I think it was Will Carrier, him, and uh, at times it would be like, I don't know if it was Nosek. Or whatever. That, that, that line goes out there. And it just created, it created energy. It created, you know, the team, the, the ice started tilting in, in Vegas's favor. That that's the stuff that, that he brings to the table. And it's, um, it's incredible. It's a, it doesn't, you don't need goals. And I know that there's people out there that think that, Oh, fourth liners. Oh, it's, you know, whatever. A, a fourth line cannot just be a farm team for your top three lines. It can't be a guy that's, yeah, you want skill throughout your line. But it can't be like, all right, this guy is a point getter, but he's not ready to assume that role yet. So we're going to put him on the fourth line. That's fine. But when you put him out there, you need to have some impact. You need to have them contributing. And, you know, Ryan Reeves, these depth players, well, as we mentioned even Tyler Mott, like the four check. It's a whole shift that most of the time they're in the offensive zone. And when the team's hemmed up down there, now you make a good change. Now you get the big guys out there and maybe you can catch them in a tired group or they're not able to change or it just changes momentum. So yeah, I love, uh, I love what he's done. And I think that it, uh, I'm interested to see how he's used down the stretch. A lot of fans were skeptical of, you know, going that grit route. Uh, I like to call it the grit narrative in, in the off season. Eventually uh, the Rangers traded away Pavel Buchnevich and got Sammy Blay in return. And a lot of people, myself included, were upset at that trade. Do you think that move took it a little too far for the Rangers in terms of that? Because they had already gotten Barkley Goodrow, and they have Reeves now. So they give up a top-line right winger for a bottom-six winger. That is effective, but he's been yeah. injured for most of the season. Um, I actually love the move when it happened, and I thought it was a ballsy move. Um it's easy to look at it now and say, because Bushnevich is having a hell of a season in St. Louis. He's been awesome. Um, and, and Sammy Blaze hurt, been hurt. So it's hard to really evaluate it, right? But he, here's the thing that I think. The Rangers did an unbelievable job of grabbing assets, drafting players, and now it's about developing the young players. And those guys we talked about already, Lafreniere, um, you know, you got uh, – Capo, um, you know, Heedle's still fairly young. Uh, Pavel Bushnevich still being in New York not only took up salary, it took up opportunity. You've got to develop those other guys. And if he's, if Bushnevich, listen, I, I didn't want him to go either. I don't think any fan would want Pavel. He's a great player. Chris Kreider didn't want Bushnevich going. Like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody wanted this guy to go. But you, the Rangers were at a point where they had so many talented players that kind of did the same thing. So you need to make a decision. Do we keep going with Bushnevich or do we give those opportunities to these younger guys? And they went with the other and it was probably, it's probably the right decision. And it, yeah, it stinks when you look at it and what he's doing, but if he was in New York, first off, I don't think he would have gotten, the numbers he's getting in St. Louis because St. Louis uses him differently because Bushnevich doesn't have to play. Like the Rangers have some talented high end guys. St. Louis needed guys like that. They don't have like offensive drivers. They have Vlad Tarasenko. Um, I mean, then they have some spot. They, they have good players, but you know, this has given him more opportunity too. So it's been good for him. I actually think it will be, and it is good for the Rangers long-term. And again, it was all keeping in mind that this team wasn't supposed to win a cup this year. It's down the road and down the road means developing those young players. So I, I think it's a really good move. It just, it's hard to swallow right now because one's playing and one's playing well and the other one's not playing at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. That was what I was, my initial take from, from that trade was, you know, given the opportunity to Lafreniere and Capo Caco, uh, yeah. Caco two goals, by the way, uh, in the last game against the Flyers looking good. Um, last question for you, what has stood out for you overall this season for the Rangers and who do you, who, to whom do you attribute the Rangers success this season? I know we talked about Chesterkin and how, how much he's done for the team, but 
exactly what has been the turning point from last season compared to this season? Um, I love Gerard Golan. I had him as a coach in Columbus. He's, he's awesome. I actually ran into, I was working like kind of pre and post game in Pittsburgh, um, a couple of weeks ago and I ran in uh, to Stromer in the elevator, uh, like the guys who weren't playing for the Rangers that night. I think Strom was sick or something. Um, and we were, uh, going up the elevator and we were kind of chatting and, um, I asked him how he liked Gerard and he said, he's, you know, I love the guy. And I was, I started telling a story real quick in Columbus about him and, how he's kind of he's like he's he's similar to torts in some areas where he tells you flat out how it is and you know exactly where you stand that's the same thing that he echoed he's like we all know where we stand and we love that you want to know as a player don't you know i want to know when i'm i want to know when i'm playing bad because you know the worst thing in hockey and it's happened many times where all of a sudden i'd be sitting there as a player and i might feel like i'm doing okay and then all of a sudden the coach is like, Hey, Rupper, you're out tonight. And I'm like, why? Like, what, what could, what am I, what can I work on? Like, what am I, what am I not doing? Well, Oh, you haven't been good. You know, you haven't been good the last 10 games. It's taken you 10 games to tell me that I'm not good. Like, you know I mean? That's a lack that that's something in hockey that is changed with coaches is there was this lack of communication before it was, I'm the authority uh, and you are, you're the coach, you control ice time. I'm the authority. You're not playing. You haven't been good enough. Okay. But do we want to actually get me to play the way I need to play? You need to tell me when I'm not, and you need to show me why, you know, I never forget this. Uh, and, and I think it was just the, the culture that these guys came up in. It's like, we had Brent Sutter as a coach in New Jersey <clears throat> and I'll never forget this back and forth. We were playing in long Island and uh, we were getting smacked up by the, the Islanders, and they weren't good, so this wasn't a good situation. And uh, so Brent Sutter comes in the room, and he starts giving it to Patty Eliash about what he's, he's not playing well or he's not doing whatever. And Patty just says, um, in front of everybody, goes, what do, you, what, what, what do you want me to do, though? And Brent Sutter says, like, whatever the play was, do it harder. And he's like, do it, do it harder? He's like, hey what do you mean? He says, I just do it harder. He's like, so you want me to do the wrong thing harder? He's like, you're not telling me what I'm doing wrong. Like, how am I going to correct it? If you don't tell me what I'm doing wrong, you know what I mean? And it was like this weird back and forth where Brent Sutter just like, basically don't talk back to me. Just, you know, just do it, do it right. He's like, I don't know what's right. You're not telling me what I'm doing wrong. So my point is, is like Gerard and torts, they're going to tell you, there's not going to be just I mean, it's not going to be, you're not good enough. Go sit upstairs. Like, no, you're not good enough. This is why. This is what you have to do if you want to get back in the lineup. And, you know, Ryan Strom kind of reiterated that. Like, we know exactly where we stand. And, and Gerard, and when I was with him in Columbus, like, you wanted to go through a wall for the guy. You wanted to play for that coach. I think there's coaches that you want to you want to stick it up as, you know, what, to, like because you don't like them and that that can work that you can come together as a group to do that like screw this guy like let's show him or you get a coach that you want to run through a wall through um i think those are the two coaches that have success anything in the middle anything that's you know not as not as crystal clear it doesn't work so uh i, I think gerard's been a huge asset for for this team and then the obvious things man cries been incredible the power play's been great Igor, you know, Adam Fox, it's just like, he just is great all the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to say this real quick. I don't know if you picked up on it before the season started, we started talking about when the Olympics were going to happen and they said, who's uh, uh, like, who's some of the, the definites, the, the, the absolutes. And we were picking, and I said, it's actually going to be a really tough decision on the U S teams decor. And I made a comment that here's the staples on defense. I think I named four defensemen that were staples, and I didn't put Foxy on there. <laughs> <laughs> and again, oh this boy, is, I bet people this, had a field day with you. Oh on my Twitter. god! It's like this guy doesn't. I'm like, hold on. I said, who's the guarantee? That doesn't mean he's not going to be on the roster. I'm just saying these, this, this top four, and I think it was something like I said it was like, like Wierenski and Jones were going to play together because they did play together. And they're both caliber, you know, Olympic caliber defensemen, but that's how these things are picked a lot of times. That's why 
Team Canada member had Chris Kunitz. Would Chris Kunitz be a normal Olympic player? No, but him and Sid had something good. So they were mm-hmm. line mates, right? So I was like, all right, we've got, uh, we've got Wrensky and Jones. That's a staple. That's going to be a pair. And then, um, why am I going blank? Who would be in, uh, some other obvious, uh, besides Fox, uh, Wayne some other, maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, no, I don't think I, I think I've put Hughes kind of with Fox. Like they were going to make the team, but they might be like a depth piece, whatever Ranger fans haven't let me live that one down. Okay. I'll say it now. I was wrong there. I should have made it. Uh, he should have been the fifth guarantee. I'm sorry about that. It wasn't knocked to him. You're still going to be on the Olympic team. I just didn't put him up there. So I was taking some heat from that, but he's been automatic since he's come in the league. And, and certainly he's helped uh, push his team along really quickly. And that reminds me of last season around Around this time last year, uh, Dan Rosen had drafted up a tweet and saying, you know, you know, Adam Fox will get Norris consideration at some point in his career. I just don't think it's this year. And of course, he wins the Norris trophy and everyone yeah. let him have yeah. it. And like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that reminds me. That reminds me of that. Ranger yeah, yeah. fans are ruthless. No, I mean, you know, it's fine. No, listen, tell me when I'm wrong, but tell me when I'm right too. Yeah. And I said they're going to win a cup in three or four years. So when it happens, you guys better give me the love. Oh, I we will definitely for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Really, really appreciate you you doing this with me. Hey, Rangers fans, thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. Time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know.